Gregory Pryor comes to the Vivian for his first ever solo show with us, Dragging Tail, which is on until January the 7th in the Studio Gallery. This show explores the landscapes and deep historical legacies that come with it through the lens of imaginary, and possibly real, historical characters plotting and navigating their way with various degrees of success and tragedy through a landscape at once alien and forbidding. Recording live during his artist Q&A session, this Vivian podcast explores the nature of his practice and some of the works in this magical and mysterious show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Vivian. My name is Scott Laurie. I'm director of The Vivian and we're delighted to welcome all the way from Western Australia, a wonderful artist called Gregory Pryor, who has a show in the studio gallery with us. Uh, magnificent paintings, uh, a, a show titled Dragging Tail. Uh, Gregory's going to tell us a wee bit about his life and his inspiration, and in particular, um, the works in this show. So what we'll do now is I'll hand over to Craig. Um, he will run this Q&A session, and it will give you a chance at the end to answer uh, any questions that you might have, and I'm sure Greg will be pleased to answer those for you. Greg, welcome to the Vivian, all the way from Western Australia. And as we're taking part in this artist talk, we may be interrupted with some thunder showers and some rain, which I'm, I'm sure is manna from heaven for, us, for somebody from Australia at the moment. Yeah, I don't mind at all. You know, I think if, if I could package some of it and carry it back, I think a lot of people in Western Australia would be very happy. It was 43 yesterday. So, <laughs> so look... Uh, this the first time I've come across you as an artist, and I'm, I'm completely enamoured with the the show you've got in the in the studio gallery. So, how did it all start? I mean, it must have been many moons ago, I guess. You know, how, how, how where did your journey begin into the career as an artist? Uh, yes, so I thought you might have meant where did this body of work, but where did it all begin as an artist in grade three in Miss Horn's class? Everyone was terrified of her at our primary school. She was very strict and uh, she had had a very rigid um, system of um, value. If you did good work, you might get a rubber star, you know, one star. But I remember we had to do an exercise on the human body. And actually, now that I think about it, it does relate a little bit um, to one of the paintings in the show here. There you go. Um, so, and for some reason, I decided to do my project on the ear. And I did a bit of research, maybe in a How and Why Wonder book or something like that. And I decided not to do it on the external ear, but the inner ear and all the workings of the cochlea and all of those sorts of things. And I remember I got my exercise back, uh, book back and I opened it and next to my drawing of the inner ear was four stars and somehow the whole class and my neighbor saw it and then the whole class got up looking at this sort of picture of the inner ear with four stars next to it and I thought hmm, I might be onto something here so um, anyway that's going back a long way but really that's I've always just drawn and worked in art. So from a very young age, I just thought that's what I'm here to do. That's the easiest answer. And 
has that always been painting? Uh, yeah, I would say I'm pretty uh, wired DNA-wise to that two-dimensional space. Um, I have worked at, you know, like really all contemporary artists, I, I shouldn't say all, but a lot of contemporary artists, you know, my generation, we work, you work through a lot of things. I think one of the key things as an artist is to see how your work is translated and bringing a body of work here to New Zealand is one form of translating your work into a different audience. Um, but besides geographical um, sort of uh, translation or relocation, the other thing is across mediums. So uh, writing's always uh, been a big part of my work. I've always written a lot in the margins or, and done a lot of text and image-based work. Um, I have done object-based work at various times, uh, looking at the uh, ceramic, great ceramic work here. In the gallery, I worked in ceramics for two years, you know, never worked in ceramics again. So, you know, I'm always sort of interested how my ideas are translated across media. But really in recent years, probably what's been more important is the simplicity of how I communicate my ideas. So in a way, a return to pretty classical um, uh, materials and processes. So the title of this show, Dragon Tail, um, I mean, obviously that has some sort of Chinese reference to it. And uh, correct me if it's wrong, but I think it refers to the, 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 the hand piece on the end of the scrolls where people could leave comments on an artwork over the period of its yeah. life, etc. Tell us a little bit about that, whether that, 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 first of all, influenced you for the title and, you know, any Chinese reference or um, reference in, in the works that you have. Yeah, I was talking to uh, Scott about it earlier, and, yeah, my interest in uh, Asiatic painting um, tradition, if you like, specifically Chinese, I think uh, probably started in the early 1990s, so it's been around for a long time. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, the way I put it to Scott was that, for me, that sort of delving into that visual art tradition was very liberating, the sort of, I mean, I was schooled in a pretty Eurocentric sort of way of visual traditions coming from the Renaissance, you know, all of that sort of thing. And, you know, Western art is pretty architectural, very sort of uh, keen on making an identical version of the world. And, you know, that has some really interesting elements to it. But I reached a certain point and I thought, no, I think there's got to be more than more than this. It wasn't really doing it for me and around that time in the early 90s. So I started looking at what I call a much more dynamic um, version of um, painting, if you like. And you just think, coming back to your question, the simple thing of a, let's say, a Renaissance painting with a big, heavy gilt frame hanging on a wall, and you compare that to a scroll that's rolled up and tied up and put in a slot on a shelf. So, you know, the masterpieces of Chinese painting, that's how they were stored. And when you wanted to look at them, it came out from the, um, off the shelf, you untied the string and you opened it out to the width of your shoulders 
and that's what you looked at and you could move forwards or backwards along the scroll in that way. So just to describe it like that is a sort of a more participatory sort of experience and you know I'm particularly interested in the landscape traditions and um, and when you know what you referred to um, the colophons at the end of the scroll uh, you know so that's where the collector or a writer or um, uh, even a critic might write a response to the artwork. Now, imagine, the, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what critics you have here, but if they came into the show and said, you know what I think, and got out a marker pen and started writing on the artwork. But really, uh, you know, it's a long-winded way of answering your um, question. But basically, I, I learned of the different sections of a hand scroll. They have translated into English very poetic titles. So, you know, uh, I think Yinshu is the first part, um, which is the title, and the next part is called The Heart of Painting. And then between the sections, you have a little white area called Gershue, which is translated means separating the water. So literally moving through a Chinese hand scroll is like taking a walk in the landscape. And you know, and you're just looking at the water down there with the little bridge. It's like you're crossing over a bridge in between the artwork. And when you think about it, that's space for reflection. You know, so the last part of the hand scroll is Torwe, uh, which is literally dragging tail because it's the last part of the hand scroll. It's the part coming at the end. So is that in direct reference, beg your pardon, to why landscape is so important in your works? For you. Yeah, well, that's definitely part of it. And in a way, my sort of induction into originally the Renaissance tradition, architectural landscape, then the dynamic um, Chinese model was a little bit like my apprenticeship to deal with the landscape of Australia. So it's too big and too distant and too foreign. Like when I was living in Melbourne, the first half of my career was in Melbourne. 20 years there, almost 20 years in Perth. But my shift to Perth was very instrumental in addressing the landscape of Australia. I couldn't see it while I was living in Melbourne. So, so, so why was that? You know, I think Melbourne's a pretty European city. Um, its cultural sort of provenance is sort of, I mean, I know there are a lot of Asian people living there now and it's a multicultural city in all sorts of ways. But in terms of when I went through art school and my cultural education, you look at the, uh, I mean, the, the, the NGV has some fantastic collections of Asian art, but its core is still pretty, the Felton Bequest is still very much coming from that European tradition of collecting from the old world. And um, so, yeah, I, it just seemed elusive to me. And when I first went to Western Australia, it was there, you know, it was right in front of me. And I, and I thought, this is it. It started, so. Talk, talk to us about one or two pieces in the show. Yeah, so why I used it as a title here is because uh, this body of work 
uh, it's the first body of work I've done probably for 10 years that has, uh, has a uh, figurative presence in it. And it's really um, uh, been quite challenging how to manage that. What's the entry door to allow a figure to be in the landscape in Western Australia, say? And I'm very aware that these are landscapes that people have lived in for 60,000 years, and it's not my landscape. So um, the bodies that appear in this body of work are white, but they're struggling to be in the landscape. So in a way, the relationship to the title Dragon Tail, because that doorway Dragon tail is the innermost part of the hanging scroll. It's almost like what I'm thinking of there is imagining the first white explorers <coughs> who went into the remote parts of Western Australia, uh, very en encumbered with sort of provisions and, you know, foreign animals and sort of varying degrees of success. But what they would do when they got to places, would write about it. They were all had field journals, they would do drawings, write about it. So a little bit like the hanging scroll, when you go through the landscape of the scroll and you get to the centre or to the end and you see a written response, that was my connection to this body of work. It's really looking at... Um, in a way, compared, say, to the oral transmission of knowledge that Aboriginal Australians had, which is, in a way, a lot more sensible. You don't want to be carrying tools of inscription around when you're in those sorts of environments. Um, so I'm sort of... The dragging tail thing almost also refers to the marks that they've left in the landscape behind them as they bring these sort of tools along with them. And, you know, you will see in the exhibition, they're very sort of, um, it's almost the detritus of those ventures into the landscape, a bit of rope here, you know, something else there, or, you know, a bit of clothing or things that actually come across as, as being ultimately pretty futile. Dragging Tail was one of the, there were two works, um, uh, in the greater body of work um, that actually came from an art historical source and Dragon Tail is one of them. It comes from a little drawing by a 19th century French painter called uh, Pierre Pouvier de Chauvin, who is very, quite an academic painter, very, very distinctive tonal range. And uh, I hadn't got that title of the body of work when I came across this sketch, but something about it was, I think you're right with the reference to a sailor, I think it might have been a study for a bigger painting, someone, it might have been actually um, a, a drawing down by the docks or something like that, but no, it's probably more likely a studio study now that I think about it, but it was somebody holding rope and was then I started thinking of these tools that 
people equip themselves with. Even today, going camping in the bush in Australia, I mean, people take so much stuff and everything. So anyway, I was thinking of all that. And so I adapted that drawing with the rope dragging behind, and that's when Dragging Tail came to me. So it was, that's why it's, in a way, the title, um, uh, you know, the title work for the exhibition. So, um, and the other thing about that work is, of course, this figure is quite ethereal and ghostly. And so that characterises the whole body of work. That was a distinct aim, because most of my paintings since going to WA have been very shallow tonally. So a real aim of this body of work was to work with a more theatrical, uh, higher tonal range. So the darkness was always part of it, punctuated by these diaphanous figures, really. So when white Europeans first came to Western Australia, Australia, a lot of people have written about it. Aboriginal people thought they were ghosts. So um, there's that sort of basic thing too. And black ear. Yeah, black ear. So Thank again, you. is a little reference. Um, uh, as I've developed my bigger uh, body of work over the last 16 years in Western Australia, occasionally I'll get um, Noongar advisors to come in, uh, Aboriginal Indigenous advisors to come in to just look at my work and see if I'm going okay or to get that response. And usually it's, of course, a very different reading of what's going on. And uh, a lot of the time they'll talk about the, uh, the landscape elements, trees, landform, rocks, whatever, as the protagonist or as the active part of what's happening. And so often it's they talk about um, these trees are watching those figures and, you know, as they move through the landscape and things like that. So uh, a lot of the time I'm thinking as I'm painting of that. So literally that the trees are looking, listening to these strange figures moving through. So it's just, and I've done, played around with it often as a little hidden element in some of my previous projects. And that's probably the most literal representation of that that I've done, that black ear one. So that figure that's in um, black ear is figure again, sort of suspended off a large branch off the earth. So, you know, the, all these works, it's like what, what I'm trying to get is this sense of movement of a in a way, yes, maybe a futile movement, not knowing a destination. And occasionally it's this problem of where, where do they rest? Uh, do they ever rest? You know, is, the, is that a, a fact or a fiction? Are there people really suspended in trees? So it's a pretty indeterminate space in that, that way. But um, yeah, uh, it's, some people have read that figure are they dead? Are they alive? Whatever, and it doesn't really matter, you know? It's sort of like it is a, a, a point of rest in either instance. Yeah. 
but the ear is definitely active. Wonderful. Yeah. One thing that fascinates me is obviously, you know, obviously the Chinese reference in the works. Do you, how do you think your work sits in the Australian market? And also, you know, it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on, have you shown your work in China? Uh, just I'm curious to, to, to what those different markets are like in your experience. Yeah, uh, so, yeah, so a couple of questions. So how's my work perceived in Australia? So often, uh, I don't know, how would I say, maybe I'm a bit of an outlier in the Australian amongst my contemporaries, probably you look at my earth, my body of work over 40 years, and maybe for most people, you would say, where's he at? Where is, where is the real Greg Pryor there? Because as I mentioned earlier, I'm always looking for how my work is translated, different forms. So it's not an identifiable easily identifiable lineage. The people who know my work really well say, Greg, whenever I bring this up, they go, no, we can see it clearly, you know? Like, so I, I don't know if that answers your question about that side of things. Uh, the second part of your question, have I shown in China? Yes, I have shown in China. I've, I just, before coming here, I'm in a, a big group show in Taipei in Taiwan and yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I probably haven't done enough to get a really good, to do a, how do we say, and have a really informed answer to your question. But definitely the response to the big work I've got in Taipei at the moment for the few days I was there was fantastic. Um, and I think there's something now I'm guessing, really, but just sort of a little bit, um, in, how do we say, incidental feedback. I think what they appreciate, and people have said to me, is the integrity of the investigation. You know, that there is something, they can see my interest in historical models, and they love that in Asia, of course, you know, you copy the masters, you do all of that. And, um, you know, a lot of contemporary artists go to Asia and want to import the West there. But whenever I've worked and studied in Asia, I'm really keen to learn from them. And I think they appreciate that shift in my work and can identify that. I was just wondering... With your references to the landscape of Western Australia, do you actually go into the bush to paint and, or to sketch and specifically go to certain places? Have you got certain places that you kind of gravitate towards? Or Yeah, uh, so uh, a few questions there. Like, it's a huge expanse, so I've seen a tiny part of it. Um, I have a good... Uh, friend and colleague and uh, she's married to a geochronologist and so he his job is to go out dating how old the rocks are in Western Australia and they're some of the oldest rocks on earth so I've been lucky to go with them a few times into pretty amazing places so that's tends to be around the what we call the 
um, goldfields area, uh, you know, six, eight hours northeast of Perth sort of thing, breakaway country. Um, but again, you know, I see, I've seen a tiny part of it. Um, but the other part that is much closer to Perth and the coastal landscapes are also of interest. But something maybe that might be interesting to a New Zealand audience, I mean, you're used to the language of islands, little islands and things. So when I travel in Western Australia, I think of the landscape as islands, but they're remnants of the original landscape because so much has been taken away through the wheat belt, through mining. So the actual original landscape areas are often these little islands that you jump between. So that's conceptually quite interesting. Is that how, now that you've had a long history of doing of art, is that how you put together an exhibition is by writing about something and then choose colours? Do you sort of have it in your head of how... Oh, so that's a good question too. Often over my career, ideas for individual paintings or for bodies of work have come through writing, right? Uh, but I think for this one, it was the opposite. It was the colour. Yeah, so uh, the writing came later. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of intuition in this exhibition. So going back to the other thing, yes, the unknown is a really big part of it, not just for the you or the audience, but for me too. You know, while I'm painting, it's like with the between the dark and light, what's going to reveal itself? And the, all of the paintings generally were a bit of push and pull like that oh, there's a figure coming out there. Do I want to allow that figure to come out or do I want to shut it down? Um, and the other thing this was uh, I realised is that uh, the sex of the figures was often indeterminate too, you know, and it didn't seem an issue, it was just a figure. And it sometimes think, oh, that's a man. Oh, no, they've just morphed into a woman there and then back again and sort of even in terms of their age and things like that. So really I'm talking about the human body as a sort of something in a bit of a state of flux. Ambiguity. Yeah, in that way. <laughs> It's not really a question, it's more of just kind of an observation. But I find it absolutely fascinating that through your style of painting, through the softness, through the colours and the revealing, you can create this effectual sense of this world being not quite in our reality, but it's like this in-between, like you were mentioning, the in-between world. Yet there are all the little references to those natural landscapes, and so we can kind of make those connections but it sits really, really heavily. And it's the strange, well, for me anyway. And even with the scale, it's not something large and overwhelming where you know, you're absolutely blinded by all the things you can see. You've got this little work that is just so powerful through the depth of it. I find that absolutely fascinating. Oh, that's it. I will accept that reading, thank you. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, that was definitely, just going back to the previous question, I've worked very large before, but for me, these 
are very large paintings, you know, and that challenge of how can you generate, and you did a really good job of talking about that, which I'm pleased about, that, yeah, in a condensed space, you're able to be transported to different places, you know. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for coming in for this artist talk and podcast by Greg Pryor. It's a wonderful show. It's on um, right through Christmas, through the break, until January the 9th. Um, it's well worth a visit up to Matacana. And, of course, if you can't make it, do look online at our website and you can find more information there. We'd like to thank Greg for taking part in this podcast, and Greg's show is on until the 7th of January. You can also see a short film recorded during this session on the Vivian website at thevivian.co.nz forward slash films. As ever, we'd love to hear your thoughts about our podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe to future episodes.